1 Corinthians uh, 11, 27 through 32. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 32. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be the guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the eat the eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judge eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, and we may not be condemned with the world. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, please be with the people that are struggling this day. Please help people that are driving home get to their destination safely. Please help everybody in this world live a safe life and someday go to you in heaven, Lord. Thank you for everything you've done for us and sending, the, and sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here. Amen? <sighs> um, excuse me, that is not the little thing from my soda. I had the mic so close to my throat so you can hear. Anyway, um, I uh, am really glad to see all of you. I, I can just stand up here and do this. And everybody is uh, wearing a mask, which is awesome. Um, and some of you, it really helps. I just want to say some of you. I'm not going to name any names. But um, anyway, I... Uh, spent quite a bit of time talking to the health department and uh, the state health department trying to figure out what we can do. And basically, um, just as a little COVID commercial here, um, they are not as uh, uh, strict on churches here in Indiana as they are in my home state of California. And that, what's that? Go figure, yeah. That is not God's country anymore, but I do miss it in some ways. Not enough to ever, ever move back there again, but um, I do uh, miss the, my original homeland. Anyway, um, so the facts of the matter are for COVID that um, we uh, churches get a special exemption that we don't have to wear our masks while we're inside. We have to maintain six feet distance. Now, a couple things about that. Number one, in this building, it's really hard to maintain six feet of distance from everybody. Um, and number two, um, I would hate for this church to become a hot spot because we, uh, <laughs> we're taking liberties at the cost of someone else who's doing the right thing. You know what I mean? So like when you're standing in the line at the grocery store or at the movies. In California, we'd go to the movies a lot. And people are a little more rude out there, a lot more rude out there. And some people, you know, they're just special. They showed up five minutes ago. You've been standing there for 20 minutes, and they just get to go to the front. And you're like, 
really? You get to go to the front? When I, what, what makes you special? And I, I think if we're going to communicate God's word to the world, we need to be the ones who are saying, you know what, I'll wear my mask as much as I can, even though the law doesn't require it, require it for churches just because we want to love the world. So that's where we're at on that. And I'm, I'm glad to see all of you wearing your masks. And I, like I said, I'd like for us to be an example of a church who says, yes, we want our freedom, but we also are going to show, we reflect the love for the world that Jesus had. So anyway, that was my little commercial because it's a very touchy subject, a lot of things. A lot of people don't want to wear them. And the elders and I have been discussing whether or not I should wear my mask when I preach. Um, I don't mind doing it. It's fashionable. It uncovers this. It covers up this unsightly area that I have here. However, it does cause some audio problems. I think it's uh, a communication barrier. And so um, I think I, during today's lesson, since I'm well more than six feet away, I think I'm going to go ahead and pull this off just so you guys don't have to keep hearing that every time I breathe. So, kind of made the decision after I came up here. There we go. I'm sorry that this area is not covered anymore. But I hope you'll bear with me. All right. Um, I asked things to change up today um, because one of the things that really... Okay, this is going to be a problem too. There we go. Now you can hear me. One of the things that... that it is good to see everybody again. Can I just say that? It is really good. And I have to admit, I'm sorry, I'm not done with my COVID commercial. I am going to repent because I have not done a good job of keeping my hands to myself. I've been punching people. No. Uh, I've been, just my urge to hug and shake hands. I think if we're, I repent. I think if we're going to, to do things the way the Lord will want us to do them. We have to resist our urge to reach out and hug each other. You all can take that under advisement all you want to, but I think uh, to maintain the, the letter of what we should be doing as Christians. We need to avoid... I know, I've been doing it too. But I repent, and I think if we want to show Christ's love, if you want to hug on somebody... Create a group of 25 or smaller. <laughs> Go have a meal together, as Christians always have, and then you guys can hug on each other all you want to. Probably get sick. The elders did not approve this part of my message, so if you get upset by what I've just said, um, feel free to take it up with me, and I, I will listen to you. All right. While we were uh, away... Uh, having to do the online thing, which isn't my favorite. I have to stare into the camera, and I have no idea if people are asleep, if they're laughing, if they're horrified. Now I can see when I'm talking to you that most of the time you are horrified, so that's good. But the other thing, and the reason why we wanted to do live services, even though they were online, is because of the Lord's Supper. And... If you remember my sermon last week, if you were listening, um, we need to stop breathing into the mic. 
We need to stop thinking that God doesn't do anything magical anymore. Because that's just not true. And those of you who were taking the Lord's Supper with us, I know I experienced that thing that I experience when I'm communing with Jesus and His body. Say amen if you're with me on that. And if you're not with me on that, well then hope maybe we can think about some of that this morning because there's only two sacraments. I know that uh, certain religious groups have tried to create more types of sacraments. But there are two sacraments we have. We have baptism, which is a supernatural thing. It is. You're buried with Christ. And we have communion. And I'm going to go over with you today what is supernatural about the communion and why it's important and how it's a really big deal for our ability to be Christians. And um, I'm, not, I'm preaching this hoping that we have a better understanding of what it is we're doing and the better understanding of what we're doing will hopefully lead to a, a, a greater indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, um, today you're going to want to have your Bible because it's going to be me reading a lot. And what I'm going to be reading about is Jesus' worst sermon. Jesus' top five worst sermons. No, I'm just kidding. Clickbait. I was going to name today's lesson Jesus' Worst Sermon, but I figured that was a little bit too much clickbait. But this is, to me, undeniably Jesus' Worst Sermon, depending on how you look at it. It was Jesus' best sermon, or one of, I can't really say it's one of Jesus' best sermon. It was a fantastically good sermon. But if Jesus was a preacher trying to do church building, which thankfully our elders and our men are see church building as building Christ's body to strength, not increasing numbers strictly. Those two things both happen, but the more important thing is that we are Christ's church. Amen? But if you were trying to build your group, Jesus has all these people following Him, and after He preaches this sermon, most of them bail. They leave and they never come back. I can't do Tolkien references from the pulpit. I, I repent. All right, so we're going to be in John chapter 6. And those of you who have been in our Wednesday night class will recognize that this is Jesus' ministry as he circled around the Sea of Galilee. Um, he's up in the north part of Galilee, up in Capernaum. And if you remember, he had just fed everybody on the west side of the Sea of Galilee and then took a boat across to the east side because he was worn out and there was thousands of people. He gets over to the east side and the people ran all the way around the edge of the Sea of Galilee to come find him. So instead of freaking out and saying, I need some me time, he preached because I'm sorry, I used that voice just then. All right. John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. 
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're, you're not looking for me. You're looking for me not because you saw miracles, but because you ate your fill of bread. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom God has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign are you going to do so that we can believe in you? What miracles do you perform? I'm abbreviating because, or translating into the Steve standard translation because the the Greek does allow for the substitutions I'm making. Verse 31, well, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That is as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Trying to pull scripture out on Jesus. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And of course, he was talking about himself. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread every day. Jesus said to them, well, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not get hungry. And whoever believes in me will never get thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and you still don't believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's kind of a deep one there, isn't it? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'm getting everything. The Father has given me everything, so now I have everything. And if you come to me, you can have everything, because I will never kick you out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of what he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Because this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, how, how is he saying that I have come down from heaven? I know who his parents are. 
Jesus answered them, Don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Just an aside, because we're not going to cover it this much. Remember, when we reach out to the world around us, they are going to have the same reaction that they had to Jesus. The world does not want to hear the truth that sets them free. They're going to reject you because they reject Jesus. And it's not your job is to show up and say what God has you to say to proclaim your faith, but you're not going to win anyone to Christ because you're so good at sharing your faith. People come to Jesus because the Father draws them in. Your job is to make sure that you're there spreading the message so that God's work is done through you rather than without you. That's my aside. That's my rabbit hole for the day. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In other words, if you have learned from God, who is the only God, then you will come to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. Of course, talking about himself. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate men in the wilderness, but they still died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Which, of course, cannibalism is not okay in God's law. So Jesus said to them, listen to me. I say, I'm telling you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Not like the manna and the water in the wilderness. This is the real food and the real drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. That's an important sentence. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I abide in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. I get my life from the Father. He gives me all life. I give that life to you. I'm in my Father. He is in me. Therefore, I have his life. If you are in me and I am in you, you have life. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not the bread the fathers ate and later died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. If you go on to read more of this story, you will find out that his disciples had a problem with this. If you look, we don't have the little windscreeny thing on here, I apologize. If you look later on, you can read this when you go home today. People did not like this sermon. Jesus lost most, most everybody, including he almost lost some of his, uh, well, he did lose probably some of his disciples and even the apostles, the chosen 12, were having a hard time with this sermon. A sermon this divisive that Jesus preached, again, truth is hard to hear, isn't it? When a truth is hard to hear, it's probably the truth that will set you free. I don't want to get into myself too much, but the most painful truth I ever heard, I feel like I talk about me before, I mean, okay, just spit it out, Steve. A guy told me 13, 14 years ago, you don't drink because of all the things you've had to deal with. You drink because you love alcohol more than you love your wife. It still scars me to this day. <laughs> That's a rough truth, man. But the truth will set you free. That may be the one thing in the whole world I least wanted to hear. And he hurt my feelings. He said it was all my fault. He's saying it's all my fault. He didn't say it was all my fault. He said it's only I can do anything. The only, the only things that are broken that I can fix are the things that I broke. And the same is true in your life. There may be lots of contributors to all the things you deal with, but you know what? You can't go back in time and change what other people did. You can't go out into your world and tell everyone at work, this is how I need you to act. You can't go to your family and say, this is how you're going to speak from now on. You can't do that. What you can do is change the way you think and the decisions you make. And the same thing is true right here. If this is a difficult truth to hear, and it is, the more we get into it, the more difficult this is going to be to hear because you're like, well, they thought that he literally meant eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Well, he would die from that, wouldn't he? Oh, we know better. We know it was just allegorical. Do you? Was it? Just like the Bible does this all the time. It's not really speaking in allegory. Yes, he doesn't mean literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What he means is something far more disturbing than that. It would be easier to eat a person's flesh and to drink a person's blood than to do the things Jesus expects out of those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. And yet, at the same time, there is power in communing with Christ. He just said, 
I commune with God, and God gives me all life and all power, right? If you commune with me, you will have all life. Whatever is going on with you, Jesus overcomes that if you are in him. And that's the only way you can overcome some things, like loving alcohol more than you love your wife, is to eat of the real food and drink of the real blood. And I am saying it is supernatural, because the Holy Spirit, when did you last physically see the Holy Spirit? Never. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is supernatural. Only supernatural. So if the Holy Spirit exists, the Holy Spirit only does things supernaturally. You with me? This is why Martin Luther, someone to whom we owe a great debt, because he was the first person back in the 16th century to say, he wasn't the first person, he was the most successful person to say, you know what, this whole church establishment with the Pope at the top making up stuff that he wants to make up. We need to get rid of that and just pick up our Bible and find out what God had to say. As smart of a man as he was, he got a lot of things wrong, like wanting to toss out the book of James. Okay. Clearly he was a faulted person too. But one of his faults was the church taught transubstantiation. Do you know what that is? That's where when they place the bread on your tongue, it literally becomes Jesus' flesh. And Martin Luther had a really hard time getting away from that. He knew that it couldn't be something magical that the cracker turns to flesh, but he recognized something that I recognize, that something that I can't explain is going on when I partake of the Lord's Supper with Christ's body, being part of Christ's body in three different ways. Right? There is something supernatural going on there. Martin Luther didn't know how to deal with it. Well, he was a product of his time. He just needed to go farther back into the Scriptures, clear his mind of all of his preconceptions, and just read what Jesus said. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life in you. And if you're in me, I am not going to kick you out. I'm not going to reject you like you're a tumor. The only thing you can do is choose not to be part of me. And that's where we get into the scripture that was read this morning. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is one that we read a lot. It's often read while we have communion. Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, and he does say something about its supernatural nature. Can you guys still hear me if I do it that way? Okay, finally clicked it over horizontal. It only took me the whole sermon. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, if you look through the rest of the context, what he's saying is treating it like some sort of 
uh, feast gathering. Number one, he says you have homes to go eat in. If eating, this isn't about eating. Number two, people were partaking of the Lord's Supper and completely being rude to the Christians around them. You can't be in Christ when you're not loving Christ's body. That's an unworthy manner, okay? It doesn't mean that if you're a sinner and you've been sinful, you can't partake of the Lord's Supper. That's the opposite of what Jesus said. If you are in me, I won't kick you out. Does that make sense? So if you say, I'm not worthy, I don't want to take of it in an unworthy manner, asking that question already kind of answers whether or not you're taking it in an unworthy manner. The fact that you care about that. Does that make sense? Taking it in an unworthy manner is like, oh, (laughs) catch. I don't know what that just came from. It's the ants in my brain. They're always there. All right. Let's continue reading. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Make sure your head is where it's supposed to be, because Jesus has specific things that he wants you to do. I should have gone farther back, shouldn't I? I realize. All right, let's go back to verse 23. This is why you need your Bible. For I received the Lord what I also delivered to you, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you giving my body to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant that replaces the the covenant of Moses, and this cup is guaranteed in my blood. Do this, and when you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Because every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. So that's something we need to be doing. Your head has to be in the game, proclaiming the Lord's death so that we can all feel bad? No, so that we can say, this is how much God loves me. This is what Jesus willingly took on for me. It's not so we can feel guilty, it's so that we can be thankful. If someone buys you a million-dollar car, anyone who wants to do that, by the way, I'll be good. I'll take it. I won't be proud. Um, If someone buys you a million-dollar car, the last thing they want you to do is every time you get into it, give them a call and just, man, I just feel so guilty. They gave you that for a reason, right? Jesus gives us the most valuable thing in the universe, and we're not supposed to come and feel guilty. We're supposed to be feel guilty when we dishonor the gift He gave us. Then you should feel guilty. But when we come to remember the Lord's death, this is not a funeral. This is a celebration that Jesus did what God called Him to do, even though it was more difficult than anything you or I will have to face. That's a wonderful, beautiful thing. We're proclaiming Jesus died and is risen. And if, you're, if, you can't, if your head's not there, get your head there. Don't walk out of the building because you're having trouble concentrating or something like that. 
get your head in the game, honor Jesus as much as you can. Amen? Okay, now this next part is weird. Verse 29 we just read. Yeah, we'll read verse 29 again. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment unto himself. And we've talked about this. What body does he mean? Does he mean the body on the cross? Does he mean the body that was raised? Does that mean the body that's around me? The answer is yes. All three of those things. If you don't recognize that Jesus' body is around you and that you're in Jesus' body and that you're eating Jesus' body, then you're eating and drinking damnation. That's all you have to do is recognize. All right? And here's the the supernatural part. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Not eating the flesh and drinking the blood. When Jesus said, I am the, fl- I am the bread of life. My blood is life. He meant that on so many different levels. If you do not partake of Christ, you have no part in Him and you will become ill and die. Does He mean that spiritually or physically? I imagine both. Because life is tied together with life. Well, Steve, you're sounding like a crazy person. Well, that's every day. It doesn't bother me. I'm just reading the Bible to you. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. If you do not partake in eating Jesus' flesh and drinking His blood, you have no part in Him. He did not reject you. You chose not to partake in Him. And you will become sick and you will die. That is why of everything that we do on Sunday morning, the thing that we do the most for ourselves, the rest is praising God or edifying the body. What we do for ourselves and for each other when we come together is we eat of Jesus' flesh and drink Jesus' blood and proclaim His death and resurrection until He comes back. And also remember, He's coming back. And without it, we will die. And that's why it was important to me and the elders and other people that if we possibly could, can we have that communion together even though we may be sitting farther apart than we normally would like to. And it did something for me. It it sustained me to take the, the communion with you guys. It's... And my worry is that we've done, I've done this for years. I've done it for 41 years, the Lord's Supper. And you do anything for 41 years, the significance of it can be lost on you. And I would hope that we can maybe get a little jolt of understanding and maybe kick out that part of our brain that says, well, this is something we do because God commands us, but nothing magic happens. You're saying nothing magic happens. Take it up with Paul. Because he disagrees. Take it up with Jesus. He also disagrees. If you disagree with me, let's go. No, I won't. I look too good right now.
All right. Verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we wouldn't have to be judged. In other words, if we were honest with ourselves, we wouldn't get ill and die. And that gets back to the truth that's really hard to swallow is the truth that allows you to live. You with me? The truth that's hard to hear is the truth that allows you to live. And if you were truthful with yourself, God wouldn't have to force the truth upon you. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we don't have an even worse outcome of being condemned along with the world. That's a lot of things you said there, Steve. Sorry, I go back to West Texas every now and then. That's how they all talked to me when I got there. I don't know what's wrong with that guy. He's a little off. All right. So here's seven things. And I tried to come out with eight. I tried to come up with eight because preachers always do seven. My hands are tied. These are the seven. I tried to get an eighth one in there, but there just wasn't there. Seven things that the Lord's Supper is. And I should have had those revealed line by line in a dramatic fashion, but let's just look at them. Number one. It's a remembrance of Jesus' voluntary, uncoerced execution by torture. Is that so we can feel bad? No. It's to say, what are you possibly going to do to Jesus that He can't forgive? You're not torturing Him and executing Him. This is the size of God's love for you. That's how big God's love is for you. And that's how big Jesus' obedience to His Father was. So two messages that you're supposed to get from that, neither of which is guilt. Number one, God will do anything to get you back into His home. Number two, Jesus is our example that no matter how bad or scary the thing God is asking us to do may look, We do it anyway, and in doing so, we are glorified. That's number one. Number two, it's acceptance of Jesus into the deepest part of your being. Think of those disciples on that that night Jesus was betrayed and arrested. I think they started to get a glimpse based on how they all scattered after that. When you agree to eat this bread and drink this wine, you're agreeing that you and I are the same. You've taken a vow when you were baptized that you reaffirm with communion that you are not your own person anymore, and if you have to die painfully and violently, you willingly do that. Do you recognize that's what you're doing when you eat Jesus' flesh and drink His blood? That means you are in Him, and in Him is a glorious, but in earthly terms, dangerous place to be. You're agreeing to take that danger and that suffering onto yourself. Number three, You're denying other sources of life in this world. 
when you eat the flesh and you drink the blood of Christ, you're saying, I'm not going to go looking for food and water and riches and safety. Looking for riches and safety will get you addicted to alcohol or something worse. Because that's a lie Satan sells to drive you crazy and spin you into a circle until you die. Sorry, that's a little rabbit hole thing. But it's true. I should change number three to recognizing there is no safety except in Christ. That's what number three means. Come on, preacher, get it. Get it right. Number four, recognition of the nature of Christ's body. That's echoed by Paul when he says Christ's body is dead but risen. Christ's body is around you and in you, and you need to recognize that when you're eating the Lord's Supper. Number five, you're proclaiming your willingness to, lead, to go wherever Jesus leads you. To be like Jesus, even if where you're led to is the torture chamber, right in front of the execution chamber, that's where you will go. And that is far more frightening than someone asking you to eat a bit of skin and drink a little bit of blood. Because you're getting called to a scary thing. And there's no point in asking you to come to Jesus if you're not willing to come to Jesus. Make sense? Number six. The Lord's Supper is fellowship with Christ, His Spirit, and His body. And because it's that, it's also a preview of things to come. Because the only thing I can tell you for sure about what happens when we reach our final reward, when, we, when Jesus comes back to redeem the world, is that we will be in fellowship with Christ and with all those who believed in His name. Those are the seven things I see in the Lord's Supper. And I think we're missing out if we miss any of those things. Because His blood is the true bread, the real bread, the real food, the real dinner. His blood is the real water. I can drink this stuff and I can tell everyone, I'm drinking 64 ounces a day because I've got a healthy body. Everyone will laugh at that. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how many ounces of water I drink a day to maintain whatever, I'm still going to die. This water isn't going to save me, but Jesus' blood will save me from death. So, um, I would like for us to take the Lord's Supper now. I'd like for us to Uh, remember what Jesus did, praise Him for what He did, be mindful of His body on earth, His his body when it was risen, and His body around you. Can we do that together, brothers and sisters? And be strengthened by it. Let's do that now.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to come to you at this time to especially remember Jesus' sacrifice. We are, we're sinners and we fall short um, so often, but you sent your son so that we might have a hope with you one day in heaven. And we ask that we would uh, take this uh, bread in a manner that is pleasing unto you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go to God again. Father in heaven, we want to come to you again to recognize Jesus and the blood that he shed for us that um, covers all of our sins and allows us to come to you in, in this manner and ask for forgiveness and for us to have the peace of mind that, that you forgive us and that uh, you accept us as your children. Um, again, we, we can't fathom what Jesus has gone through, but we just want to um, say that we are grateful and so thankful for him and what he has done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And let's also have a, <clears throat> a prayer for the, the contributions that, that we've had. Father in heaven, you have blessed us so much, and sometimes we, we fail to see those blessings coming from you, and we just want to say that we are so thankful for all of those blessings, and we pray that we can, we can give back accordingly, whether it's money or whether it's with our time and with our effort. Um, we pray that we can continue to do your will with all of those blessings and glorify your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. 